Good morning again. Well, just amazing testimonies and uh, the variety of experiences. And, and uh, what's interesting about the being filled with the Holy Spirit and God meeting with us is that uh, every situation seems to be different, every experience a bit uh, different, but the result is the same. The power and presence of Jesus breaking down uh, barriers and strongholds the joy of the presence of God, the sensitivity to his uh, presence. I appreciated also what uh, Abby said about the, the enhanced sensibility. That things, grass was greener and the sky was bluer. And, and I found that in my own personal experience to be exactly that as well. There's just a greater sense of awareness of God's presence in everything in all parts of our life. Jesus told his followers that they would receive power after the Holy Spirit uh, had come upon them. They would receive power from on high. And whenever you read the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament, but would come upon individuals, and individuals uh, would uh, find the Holy Spirit coming upon them to empower them for particular service and ministry that they would not have been capable of doing uh, otherwise. But the promise always was in the Old Testament that God would work through a community of believers. And the prophet Joel prophesied at one point that uh, in the last days God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, and uh, regardless of age or gender or anything like that, uh, young, uh, old, uh, men, women, boys, girls, God would pour out his spirit on all flesh and create a community called the church that would be a prophetic community that is filled with his spirit. And... Uh, capable of hearing God and capable of moving in power, where you find one guy like a Moses or a David or a Gideon in the Old Testament, basically that was a, a, a predictor, a shadow, an example when God would pour out his spirit on a community of people, like here at Jubilee Church. I was very uh, pleased with, with several things that Brian said. One of the things that he said had to do with the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus. And we know Jesus is the Son of God, and it's kind of hard for us to imagine that, uh, that there was any point when he had not been baptized or uh, anointed with the Holy Spirit. But the fact is that's true for 30 years. I mean, he, he, he became like us. And when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit settled upon him, then suddenly he's empowered for service in fact, he says in Luke chapter 4 that the Spirit of the Lord is upon, on me to uh, preach, to bring deliverance, and he's anointed me to do that now, and he's moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus becomes our ultimate example, not only in water baptism, but also in being filled with the Spirit, that we follow in those steps. These are not like optional things. Well, okay, uh, I know I need uh, to receive Jesus as my Lord, uh, but um, I'm a little unsure about the water baptism thing. Maybe that's optional. I'm particularly unsure about the, this empowering or being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And actually, the gift of tongues, I don't want at all. So, that's kind of, so we, we can treat all of these things as options, which in fact they're actually not. They're the provision God has made for us to be the particular community that he's called us to be that we can't be without the empowering of his Holy Spirit. I find it interesting the way John the Baptist introduced Jesus. He said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's, 
He's, he's this Holy Spirit baptizer. That's what he's come to do. He's come to take away the sins of the world, and he's come to fill us with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus promised his disciples, after spending three years preparing them for the task that was way too big for them, and it's, it's excellent to be aware of our inadequacy and the major task that God's called us to do, he says, you're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He promised them he would never leave them nor forsake them within the context of going and making disciples of all people groups, being amazing witnesses. And in the midst of that, how does Jesus never leave us nor forsake us? Because we know that he ascended into heaven. He said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. It's necessary. I go away. I'll send my spirit. He'll be in you. He'll be upon you. Uh, won't be housed in the body of flesh of one person, Jesus Christ, but comes and you become the body of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth by the presence and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come to you again. I'm going to come to you in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit who will fill you all and you become a temple of the Holy Spirit, able to do the things that I've done. Now, that's a big deal because if you read the Gospels, Jesus did all sorts of things that maybe we haven't done. And, uh, but he says, you can do these things, but you can't do them on your own, only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when he said to his disciples, go make disciples of all people groups, and they, all right, here we go. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait a moment, wait, wait. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until this promise of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, until you're endued with power from on high. And after that happens, then you will be equipped to be witnesses. Uh, throughout the whole world, actually. This is where you'll go. And remember, these are localized people. And when, when, when Jesus begins to talk about the whole world, that's like, wow. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the whole world. But he says, wait until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you're empowered to do that. And so when you read the book of Acts, it would be easy for us to title it the, the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through his community. Because that's what it is. It's just a declaration of all the acts of the Holy Spirit. He leads, he guides, he directs, uh, he speaks, he empowers, he equips us with amazing spiritual gifts that we might be able to accomplish the work that he's called us to do. That's what it's about. Well, there are at least five uh, bold events by which the Holy Spirit fell upon people. And while I'm really, really tempted to, to explore this, because I, but I won't. I'll just mention a few things. <laughs> because it's important that you not have my opinion, but you basically, you let the Bible speak for itself. And the Bible speaks for itself quite well in these particular areas. And very clearly, so actually, if you have ears to hear and your mind is open to that. But the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened on the day of Pentecost, and uh, that was in Acts chapter 2, and when about 120 uh, believers were waiting for whatever it was, they had no idea what it was, this promise of the Holy Spirit to come that would empower them. So they're waiting. They were sitting like you are. And uh, then on the, on the day of the Feast of Pentecost, when all uh, nations would be represented in the city at that time because it was a major celebration time, there came that sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. It was a sound of the appearance of fiery tongues, and they all began to speak with other tongues. 
as the Spirit gave them utterance. They spoke, it's important to understand the language here, they spoke, they did it, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the result was they spilled out into the streets and created such commotion. People thought, these guys are wasted, they're drunk, no one acts this way unless they're drunk. And Peter was able to preach boldly, no, we're not drunk. Actually, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy. This is a brand new day. This is the beginning of the last day that was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And this is what you see. And he went on to say that this promise that we've received are for you too and your children and your children's children. It's now active on the earth. And it's for you. The, the second instance of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, was in Acts uh, chapter 8. And there was an evangelist named Philip who went out to preach in Samaria and loads of people got saved. The Bible says that when Philip preached in the area of Samaria that people believed Philip's preaching, the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, and they were baptized, men and women alike. And so he preached the gospel, people become believers, he then baptized them in in water. Then it's interesting what the Bible says in verse 18 of that chapter. And when the apostles heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John down, who then prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet had not fallen on any of them. Now it is true that to be born again, to become a believer in Jesus, is to have his spirit. Yes, we do have his spirit. But there's also an empowering of the Spirit that can happen at various occasions. In this particular case, it was following their belief in the Lord Jesus. There was some period in between when they believed. And certain evangelicals might tell you that you get everything when you become a believer. But it doesn't match up with Scripture here. These people have become believers. A few days later, they come, they prayed for them. It said they had simply, to quote scripture, they had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. And they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And there was a sorcerer around named Simon who saw all this. It was evident something visual and physiological was happening because when he saw that they put their hands on them and they received the Spirit, something happened. He says, I'd like to, I could earn some money on that. Uh, And he tried to purchase that gift, which was not a good idea. The third time the the Holy Spirit's poured out is in Acts chapter 9. That's really Paul's conversion. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. He has this encounter with Jesus. He falls to the ground. He's made blind. And he kind of hides out for a few days. and, And God speaks to a guy named Ananias. We have no idea who he was. And said, I want you to go pray for him that he would receive his sight and he'd be filled with the Spirit. I have lots of things, a a big ministry for him to do. And Ananias came and saw him. And interesting, the language he used. He said, Brother Saul. Remember, this guy had been a persecutor of the church. He's now a believer. And so he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road and when you were coming has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Spirit. And he laid hands on him and prayed for him. He received his sight, and he was filled with the Spirit. And again, this is another example of a man subsequent to his belief in Jesus finding a point in time when he was filled with the Spirit. Uh, The fourth instance is uh, found in Acts chapter 10. And Peter, who was a Jew, had some vision about preaching the gospel to Gentiles, which was like Jews didn't talk to Gentiles. This is a whole new paradigm shift. 
And God said, I want you to do that. And there was a knock on the door with some Gentiles representing a man named Cornelius in encouraging Peter to come and preach them, tell them about Jesus, which he did. Now, this is an interesting example because it's in, found in Acts 10. It says, and while he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who, those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers, that is Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on Gentiles because they heard them speaking with tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can refuse water for those to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, and he ordered them to be baptized. This is a different example. In Philip's case, they were saved and baptized, then filled with the Spirit. In this particular case, Peter's preaching, evidently they believed in the midst of his sermon. And, uh, well, that's a pretty hot sermon right there. They believed. And then they were filled with the Spirit as evidenced by, hey, they're all speaking in tongues like we did on the day of Pentecost. Well, let's baptize them then. So there it was like saved, filled with the Spirit, and then baptized. So I, I love the way God's variety and order and changing things up so that we just can't nail it down except the necessity of being filled with the Spirit. And the last example is in Acts chapter 19, and that's where Paul goes to Ephesus. He meets some what appears to be some believers there. Uh, come to find out when he said, you know, you guys, he sees something lacking in them. He says, uh, what about the Holy Spirit? Have you been filled with the Spirit? Well, you've not even heard about the Holy Spirit. And then he's a bit confused, and he quizzes them a bit more, and he only discovers that they had actually been converts of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist did water baptism for repentance. And so Paul went on and he explained to them that Jesus was the one that John the Baptist had been speaking about. He's come. He preached the gospel. They believed. They were baptized. And this is an interesting scenario because you almost get the picture as they're still dripping wet. And boom, he puts his hands on them and they begin to speak with tongues. They're filled with the Spirit. And so there are five instances there of of people being filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes immediate with their salvation. They receive empowering and gifts of the Spirit, sometimes some days afterwards. And sometimes after water baptism, sometimes before water baptism. So it's, it's, it's an interesting scenario. Now, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he said, this promise is for you and your children and as many as the Lord our God has called. And that's quite important. Because all of you are in this room because you know you've been called by God. And he's saying, this is for you. And none of us ever want to be in a position of refusing the good things that God has for us. And so he's saying, these things are for you. And it's not actually, uh, I think oftentimes things that we think might offend our sensibility or somehow uh, selfishly guarding our sense of self-pride or ego, we say, well, I'm not, that wouldn't make me look very cool if I did that. So I think, you know, I'll have a little of this and a little, this is not like, the gospel is not like a buffet table where you can go by and say, I'll take that, no, that, no, that, that, yeah, no, 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 that. It's not, the, it's, it's like the gospel is a whole package. Be saved, repent, believe, become a follower of Jesus be baptized, and be filled with the Spirit and all that God has for us. 
we want to gorge ourselves on the banquet table that the Lord has set before us. All things. I want it all. Whether you think I'm cool or not makes no difference to me. I'm having a lot of fun gorging myself (laughs) at his banquet table. Ephesians 5 gives us a command. Be filled with the Spirit. That doesn't sound very optional to me. Be filled with the Spirit. And so let's, let's not... Uh, so let's not have it in our minds that, uh, that perhaps uh, I'm not ready for that, not sure I'm ready. Or the other thing in our minds, I'm not holy enough. I've got these sin issues in my life. Well, I'm, I'm probably not a candidate for this yet. Uh, let's not have it in our mind we're not holy enough or we're not ready yet. Or uh, maybe it's for you and not for me. Or maybe... You know, I can see where God would do this for you, but he probably wouldn't do it for me. These things have to be eradicated from our mind. This is available for you now. And some people think they have to wait until they've reached a point of they're kind of happy with who they are in Jesus first. That's certainly not the case. This is certainly about grace. Well, don't we have to wait? Shouldn't we like seek this thing and keep seeking it and God be pretty happy for us just to keep doing that? Well, didn't, didn't, didn't Jesus tell those guys, those disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with power? Well, in order for you to understand that, I just need to take you to a verse of scripture. In John 7, 37, 39, we're going to get to the heart of this issue just real quickly now. And it, it says there, there, there's a particular feast day in John 7, and they, this is what they would do in this feast day. They would come and they would ceremonially pour out water because they were celebrating the fact that God gave them water on their wilderness journey. Otherwise, of course, they would have perished. And Jesus comes into this celebration where they're pouring out waters, just kind of celebrating, you know, way back thousands of years ago, and he gave us water in the desert, and he shouts out to this crowd, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And if you'd have gone forward and said, that's me, I'm thirsty, yeah, I'm thirsty, I'll have some of that, yes, Jesus, he would have probably said something like this, well, not yet. Because it says in verse 39, This he spoke concerning the spirit which those who believed in him were to receive, but the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he said, well, wait a minute. I'm not yet glorified. You're going to have to wait. The spirit was not given. Why? Not because they weren't holy enough or... They had not proven themselves. It had nothing to do with them, which means it has nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with him. He wasn't ready yet. Now, this is very important, especially for some of us here who may not feel we're not quite ready yet for this. This isn't the issue. And then, he, then, then it says to them, now this he said about the spirit whom, th- who, whom those who believed in him were to receive, but as yet... The Spirit had not been given because he had not been glorified. Now, that brings me to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. This is a very, very important point. 
Peter effectively preached on this verse. He says these words, This Jesus whom you crucified now raised up, of whom we're witnesses, and he has now ascended to the Father and shed forth this, which speaking of the Holy Spirit, which you now see and hear. So the not yet has been satisfied. And that's why I said, hey, this is for you now. Come on, belly up to the bar. You can have this. Drink from him. You're thirsty? Come on now. That verse in John 7 is now applicable. It's in force. Because Jesus died, he rose from the dead, he ascended, he's glorified. And we know that he's glorified because he poured out this Holy Spirit. And that wasn't going to happen until he was. Now, I like this because that means the whole not yet and wait has been satisfied. There's a river flowing now. The wait until is over with. It's totally been taken care of. He has ascended, and his Holy Spirit is available for all of you who believe. Everyone in this room who believes. Now, John 7, 37 through 39 is in force. So, here's a question. We're going to pray for you today in just a little bit. And if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, well, it's going to happen. And if you are in this room and you say, I'm, I'm needing more. Because it's evident when you read the book of Acts, people who were filled with the Spirit were continually replenished. And at times when a greater trial or area of ministry was engaged in, they were empowered again for that work that he called them to do. So many of you here today, you say, I just, a little empty and a little dry. Well, he's going to come to you today. This is a fun day. This is going to be one of the best Saturdays of your life. (laughs) This is what Jesus says. This verse is now in force. There's only a couple of qualifications, really. What do you need to know to be filled with the Spirit? If anyone is thirsty, that's the first. Do you want more of Jesus? You heard these testimonies for transformed lives. You say, I really need that. Are you thirsty? Because if you're thirsty, there's something for you. We have a drink for you today. We have some living water for you here today. It doesn't say if anyone is mature, if anyone didn't sin last night. It doesn't say if anyone is holy. This is what he says. Are you thirsty? Okay, then. That's it. And then he says, so if anyone is thirsty, then what? Come to me, that is, come to Jesus. Are you thirsty? Come to Jesus. These are fairly simple instructions. Even men can read them and understand them. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to pray for you in just a little bit, but that I want to encourage you to know that when we invite you to, to come to be prayed for, you're coming to Jesus. You're not coming to John or Brian or Mike or 
any of the ladies, whoever's here to pray for you, you're not coming to them. You're coming to Jesus. And it's not like, boy, I hope one of the elders prays for me. Hope someone I know would have high regard for prays for me. We don't have any more clout. The fact is, you're coming to Jesus. If you're thirsty, he says, come to me, and we're going to lay hands on you. And because this seems to be what happens in the Bible, laid hands on people, God wants it to be a community affair. We're working together in this. And so when someone places their hand upon your head, this is what you will feel. A hand on your head. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing less, nothing more. That's kind of it. It doesn't matter whose hand it is. Because you don't get your eyes on the person. If you're thirsty, Jesus says, come to me, you're coming to me, and drink. So in that moment when we invite you to be prayed for, I want you to remember in your heart, you're coming to Jesus for a drink, and he won't disappoint you. The laying on of hands is biblical. Peter, John, Ananias, doesn't seem to matter. Whoever did it, it doesn't matter. We're coming to Jesus, and that's biblical. All right. Thirsty? First instruction. Come to Jesus? Second instruction. There's only three. Third, and drink. Thirsty, come to me, drink. It doesn't say, come and plead. Oh, Jesus, please. I want to be filled with spirit, please. It didn't say, come and plead. Doesn't doesn't say, come and cry. It's okay if you do, but just doesn't say, come and turn up the emotional system that somehow... That might help you. It doesn't say come and wait. Okay. What are you doing? I'm waiting. It didn't say come and wait. It says come and drink. And drinking simply means receive. He's already filled it up. There's, a, there's, there's water for you to drink. Thirsty, come to me. You. It's here. See, if you're in the desert and you're thirsty... And I say, come here to me. I've got some water here. And you come. And I have this glass of water. And you don't drink it, you're going to die. Now, responsibility is up to you to take and drink. Get it? He's going to provide everything you need. I'll explain a little bit more about that in just a second. Come and receive. And the next verse is quite important. Whoever, he says, believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It has to do with belief. The key word is believe. Don't come this morning with, I hope something happens. I really hope today's my day. Don't come. Come with belief. Today is my day. God will meet me. That's what it says. Whoever believes in me, if you believe, then he says, out of your heart, it's going to flow. 
rivers of living water. Galatians 3 says that we receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's really important. You must believe in Him. We come to drink. His promise to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And He will give. As you believe, He'll give. Some of you remember the day or the night, or some of you can remember the point where you committed your life to Jesus. Mike was talking about that. He kind of got the whole package together. I don't know when he was saved. When he was sleeping, maybe. He woke up feeling different. But there was a point as he was reading the Gospels, things began to happen, and he became a believer. He, he made a statement. He said, I read the Gospels, and you know, I said to myself, this is true. I believe this to be the truth. That's all it takes to become a follower of Jesus, to have your sins taken care of. Become a follower of Jesus. I believe this to be true. And I'm going to live a different life now. And so, when when you became a believer in Jesus, it was a, it was a gift of faith, but there was faith engaged in this process. Mike said, I'm a scientist. I only believe what I can prove. He discovered the next day that it's not exactly true. Because none of us can prove that Jesus can take our sins away. We can't prove it scientifically. But by faith, we have the assurance of knowing that that is true. Therefore, when you approach Jesus today, Luke 7 says, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, I think that's an amazing comparison. You may not be the most righteous person in the world, but you know how to give good gifts if you have children to your children. You would do that. Well, how much more will the, Holy, will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He's trying to eradicate any doubt in our minds that he's ready to give us what we're thirsty for. And so we come asking and expecting to receive. And he says, he that believes in me, out of his heart, out of his innermost being, flows rivers of living waters. Again, Mike's testimony is quite helpful with this whole scriptural scenario. Because he said, something welled up within me, inside of me. And so I just begin to say it. He didn't know what it was. He never heard of it. He'd never heard of tongues. He just began to say. He spoke. He didn't have to. He could have kept his mouth shut. But he used his natural speaking apparatus and he expressed what was happening within his heart. He spoke. This he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit. This, there's a flowing out and there's an overflowing of the Holy Spirit. And it's simple. We just come and we drink. Come and drink and receive. Come and take. And out of your heart flows rivers of living waters. Now, let me tell you my testimony. When... Um, I become a believer in Jesus, follower of Jesus, when I was about 17 or 18. And I, it was in a church that believed in this. It believed that you, and 
pretty adamant about you need to be filled with the Spirit. I said, okay, I need to be filled with the Spirit. And in this little country church, I used to go answer the call, come forward to be prayed for. But we had to get on our knees. We all got on our knees in this little church. It was the way, kind of the style. Got on my knees. And people would gather around me to help me get filled with the Spirit. I found it extraordinarily distracting. Because the, the music would ramp up to a fever pitch like a rock concert. <laughs> and people would be trying to help me. Shouting in my ear one thing, shouting in my ear the other. You know, it's like someone would say, fill him up, Lord. And then the other ear, someone would say, empty him out, Lord. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was my experience. And, I, and, I, and I, I, I can't tell you in a year's time, because it was a year before I went to college, how many times I come forward to receive the Holy Spirit only to walk away quite disappointed. Distracted by the way kind people who were trying to help me were praying for me and uh, nothing, and, and trying really, really hard to figure this out. When I went to college, uh, I had to work because I didn't have any money or scholarships. And uh, so I, I worked a couple of different jobs. And one of the jobs I worked was down town in the city. I worked in a parking garage, which is the spookiest thing in the world. Several levels, and uh, I think all the demons in the city lived there. <laughs> I just, you just got the creeps walking up in this dark, to go get, because it was a valet thing. I had to go get someone's car, and there were several, oh, it's a whole them. And uh, so I finished my shift that night, I don't know, 11 or midnight, and I came back to college, and I had, I was just burnt out and empty and cold. I had no emotion at all, none of what I've experienced in that church. And I walk into a, the library, into a, a, a small uh, cubicle room, and close the door. And I sit down there, and I said, oh, God, I really need something. And the next thing I know, I'm just worshiping Jesus, and I'm speaking in tongues. I felt something like you felt, Mike, well up within me. And I thought, I'm going to start saying these words. I don't know these words, but I'm going to say these. And I, I didn't even think about them. I just said them because I'm caught up with Jesus. That was my focus. And I thought, after this is all, I mean, it changed my life. And then the next day, I remember going out reading the Bible, and it's like words jumping off the page. I've read the Bible before. It was hard work. It's like, wow, wow. All these things, my sensibilities were turned up. I mean, the sky was bluer and the grass was greener and the girls were prettier and I married her. <laughs> I thought, this was so easy. Why did I make it so hard? All I had to do was just worship Jesus, drink from him, just sensing his presence, and I... And I spoke these words. God did not take my tongue and make me say them. I just, I did. So let me just say one last thing here, which will take a couple of minutes about speaking in tongues, because that seems to be the big deal. Sam said, I didn't mind all the other stuff. I didn't want that tongue stuff. I understand that, you know. Well, I want to demystify that a bit. 
Speaking in tongues is referred to oftentimes when the Holy Spirit is being poured out. Matter of fact, in the examples I went through in the book of Acts, it was more commonly understood. It was evident. The Bible clearly says they spoke with tongues. They prayed for them. They spoke with tongues. At least three out of the five instances, it clearly stays there. Others, it's indicated. Now, it would not be right to argue that speaking in tongues therefore demonstrates and becomes the evidence you've been filled with the Spirit. The Bible does not say that. And therefore, we're not going to say that. That would be going beyond Scripture to say, well, you're not filled with the Spirit unless you speak with tongues. Because the Bible does not say that. Your scripture never does. But it is often there anyway. And is there more often than it isn't there. So when we lay hands on people to be filled with the Spirit, we expect that you will desire and find some expression in that regard. Some people spoke in tongues and prophesied. Others may sing psalms. But uh, it's more commonly that people do speak with tongues. Now, what's the importance of that? I don't want to get into the doctrine of tongues, but the fact is it's, it's the ability to communicate with God in a most satisfactory and fulfilling way that we can't otherwise employ because you run out of words. Have you noticed that? When you pray and you want to express yourself to God, you say, oh, Lord, you're so wonderful. You're great. Uh, you're compassionate. You're merciful. You're great. You're compassionate. You're merciful. You're merciful, compassionate, and great. <laughs> Have you noticed that? You kind of like, and you think, oh, if I could just express myself to him in a way that was not limited by the English language, wouldn't that be wonderful? And he says, I want to help you with that. And so he gives us a language. I don't know what it means, but he does. And it doesn't engage my mind at all. It comes from within. I, I just, and that means I can do a number of things and pray this way. It's just like breathing. I, I breathe without thinking. Don't have to think. It just flows. And so... He gives me a way to express myself in a way that I couldn't. And it's like Luther said when he wrote the famous song, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. Your glory is your majesty. And he wants you to have that. He wants you to have the ability to express yourself in such a way that you would never be able to express. You'd run out of words and somehow it's just not quite fulfilling. And you think God must get tired of me using the same words. He says, well, let me just give you something else. And it works. And there are times, and Brian brought this to our attention last night, when you don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray about this. And I find when I pray in tongues, there's a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in knowing that I'm praying according to the will of the Father when I don't know how to pray. And sometimes even in the midst of that, God will break in to my mind with a revelation of how to pray. Oh, I'll pray this way. 
So very helpful. So my expectations when we pray for you, many of you here in this room, will experience the joy and the fulfillment of being able to pray to God and worship him in a language you haven't learned before. Now remember this, it's you that speaks in tongues. It isn't God. God doesn't speak in tongues. You do. Sometimes when one prays for people, you can go into the passive mode waiting for your tongue to start moving or God to take over your speaking apparatus and make you do it. Well, it doesn't work that way. You have to say it. The first, the Bible says, they spoke with tongues. They did it. Let me put it this way. If you don't speak in tongues, you won't speak in tongues. (laughs) Paul says to the Corinthians, I pray with my spirit and I pray with my understanding. I use words I understand with my brain, but I also pray from my spirit. And he's referring to to praying in tongues. Second point is when I pray in tongues, it says in 1 Corinthians that my mind is unfruitful. I'm not going to try to figure out, wonder what I'm saying. Forget it. Put it in neutral. I'm just going to worship the Lord with this language. It's not engaging the intellect. Sometimes I prayed for people and they start speaking in tongues and they stop. And one of the reasons they stopped, they began to analyze what they just said. What was that word I just said? It sounded weird. I wonder if they heard it. They probably think I'm kooky. Sounds like a word a little kid would make up. And you start doing that and you lose your way. Because you start engaging your brain to analyze what's happening here. It's like certain things are made to be enjoyed and not to be analyzed. And this indeed is uh, one of them. Don't get distracted or preoccupied by the things you hear yourself saying. And the other thing I would say for people who are praying for people, don't bombard people with a bunch of words. Just encourage them to receive. Because you don't want, this is what happened to me. I began to listen to what everyone else was saying. And forgot to worship Jesus. Oh, fill him up. Empty him out. Don't. Just, just pray for them. Come Holy Spirit. Receive. That's all. Because God does it anyway. We're coming to Jesus. Uh, let me give you a couple of scriptural examples. And then we'll pray for you. When Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, and it was announced to Peter, Peter was in the boat, it was announced to Peter, it's the Lord, and Peter's in the boat, and he says, well, if it's you, Lord, why don't you invite me to come water walking with you? Now, that was a pretty smart move, because if it's you, Lord, you invite me, and the Lord said, come. So now it's, it's the Lord's responsibility. Well, wait a minute. The Lord invited me to come, like he's invited you to come to be filled with the Spirit. Now it's Peter's responsibility. Guess what he has to do? Climb out of the boat 
onto the water. He's not going to stand in the boat saying, I hope that the gift of water walking comes on me. I'm, what are you doing, Peter? I'm just waiting here in the boat for water walking to come on me. He had to get out of the boat. You see, when the Lord invites you to come, now it's your responsibility. Get out of the boat, onto the water. So when the Lord says, if you're thirsty, come to me, now it's your responsibility. Come and drink. That's really important because throughout the Bible, we see these examples of this element of faith that engages your responsibility. Don't come and passively wait for something to happen. What are you waiting for? Water walking? What are you waiting for? Tongues? No, no, no. Don't come and passively wait. Engage him in worship. When his spirit is upon you, you sense his presence. Speak. Speak. Don't try to engage your brain to say a bunch of English words. Actually, just speak what comes to you. Now, if you speak, because he uses your natural speaking apparatus, if you speak, the Bible says he will give you utterance. That's all you have to do. He'll give you utterance. So when I was in college and I spoke a word, I just kept doing it. And I just found this is as natural as breathing. This just flows. I don't understand these words. I don't know what they mean. I don't know if they're a natural language from around the world or if they're an angelic language. I don't know. I don't care. I just let her rip. And he give, if you will speak, he will give the utterance. Maybe a word, maybe two, and then there's more. You speak. Speaking in tongue uses your speaking apparatus, your teeth, your lungs. You speak in another language. God gives the utterance. Hopefully, I've explained tongues. Come to God. You're coming to Jesus. You're thirsty. He says, here's the water. If you don't drink it, you're not going to act. You can come all you want, be as close to it as possible, but you have to drink it. You worship Jesus. His presence come upon you. You speak whatever words he gives you. Now, why is the, this tongue thing such a big deal? Well, I think it's a big deal uh, primarily because I don't know how, how to pray about things. And it's a language that I feel that God's given us to express his will. Secondly, it's a worshipful language. In the book of Acts, when people understood the tongues, said, we hear them declaring the wondrous works of God. So it's a language by which you can express yourself in worship at a deeper, more intimate, fulfilling level than you can in normal language. Ready? Thirsty? Come on, band. We're going to do this. That wasn't a very enthusiastic yes, by the way. <laughs> I love to have my experience in the Holy Spirit refreshed regularly. In meetings like this, I, I want to respond and ah, experience his presence freshly and new.
the command to be filled with the Spirit is a continue. It's written in a language that is continuing, continually be, being filled with the Spirit. Not a one-time deal. This is okay. I'm walking in this river now, swimming in it, drinking in it. You guys ready? ready. Okay. <laughs>